The Old Testament reading for this, the fifth Sunday in Lent, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord. O come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, The epistle reading, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the third chapter. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the 20th chapter. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. 
But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they, sent, so they watched him and sent spies, who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How often do you think about the cross of Jesus Christ? I mean, really think about the cross. You might see crosses a lot in your home, at church. You might wear crosses as jewelry or ties. You might even make the sign of the cross from time to time. But how often do you think about what the cross of Jesus Christ actually means? Well, I'm guessing not terribly often. Because for most Christians, the cross is just something we take for granted. It's a symbol of the church and little more. It's a decoration. It's a pleasant gift. Maybe a pretty centerpiece. It's something that we see all the time, something that we hear about every week in church, but something that has become so common to us that we rarely, if ever, think about what the cross actually is. The fact is, the cross of Jesus Christ is a terrible thing. It is an instrument of torture and death. It is a brutal execution device meant to maximize pain and suffering and shame. The cross of Jesus is the place of the greatest injustice to ever take place in this world. As the one and only man who was without sin and completely undeserving of death was murdered. At the cross, God himself died which should be impossible. And the fact that it happened should be terrifying. Most of the crosses that we see are beautiful. They're ornate. They're well-polished and attractive. But the real cross was jagged. It was rough. It was covered in gore and blood. It was unclean. It may well have already been used to kill others, may have been used again to kill after Jesus. It was not crafted with pride, but it was put together simply to be functional, to hang a criminal upon so that the whole world could look and laugh and jeer. And its sole function was shame, torment, and death. Which is why we rarely really think about it. It's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. It's off-putting. So much so, in fact, that it's just not present in a lot of so-called seeker-friendly churches. 
which is usually a code word for a church that doesn't actually bother with God's word. They build their auditoriums and their stages purposely without crosses because that makes people uncomfortable. And if you do find a cross, it's usually a spiffy, stylized logo, and the odds of finding one with the body of Jesus on it are about nil. The cross truly is a terrible thing. And it's something that many people, even Christians, just would rather not actually think about. But we should. In fact, we must. Because without the cross, without that gory, awful, terrible, horrific death of Jesus Christ, everything else means nothing at all. In our epistle reading today, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he's warning them about a group who taught that in addition to the gospel, real Christians still had to follow Jewish rules and regulations, still had to keep the dietary laws, and still had to faithfully observe circumcision. They taught that Jesus was a good start, but in order to get into heaven, you still had to do your part, and you had to do it very, very well. And so Paul points to his own life. He says, if anyone thinks they've got a reason to brag about their good deeds, I can beat them. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, just like the law said. I'm a full-blooded Israelite who can trace his bloodlines back properly. I know what clan I'm from, what tribe. I know my roots. I was a Pharisee, and everybody knows that they are all about doing things correctly and precisely. In fact, I was so into the law that I even persecuted Christians before I became one. And so if you had to find a perfect person, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone better than me, writes Paul. Now, if that's all that you ever read of Paul's writings, you might come away with the idea that he was this arrogant jerk who was telling everyone, hey, be more like me. But he's actually doing the exact opposite. After pointing out all his good deeds, pointing to his beautiful pedigree, pointing out his zeal for God's word and his seeming perfection, he then says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says that all these things that people would take pride in, all these things that people might say, well, that's how you get into heaven, he says they are rubbish, garbage, filthy trash on their own. What made Paul's life and teaching worthwhile? It wasn't his pedigree. It wasn't what he did or who he was. It was only the cross of Jesus Christ, that offensive, gory, agonizing torture device of the Romans. Here we are in the church in the season of Lent. As we read in the bulletin, As we hear each Sunday, as we gather in our midweek services, Lent is a season of repentance. It is a time of self-denial, of turning away from sin, of coming before God with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Lent is a time of self-reflection as we reevaluate our lives and face where we have failed so miserably. It's a time of hearing God's word and keeping it, of recognizing just how sinful we truly are. All these things are good. 
And they are all Christian disciplines that we should strive to undertake, not just during Lent, but all year round. There are many churches that even make such things mandatory, telling you that you're not a good enough Christian unless you're doing these things and doing them well. Sound familiar? We ourselves might take pride in our fasting, in our ability to keep from certain sins during Lent. But the fact is, on our own, these things are nothing at all. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, they are rubbish. They are garbage. They are useless acts of empty piety. All of our repentance, all of our fasting, all of our good deeds and abstaining from sin, they're simply not enough. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, that morbid, horrific symbol of pain and death, you fast all day, every day. You could abstain from every sinful act and you would still be a lost and condemned creature. All of it is nothing without the cross. Which is why we put our focus so squarely there. Not just during Lent, though we certainly see the cross front and center throughout this season, but each and every day of our Christian lives. We don't downplay the horrors of the cross. We don't apologize for it. We don't hide it away behind a screen with much happier pictures on it. A church that does not preach the cross is no church at all. It's just a gathering of people hoping to hear some life hacks and self-help tips and pretend that it's going to make a difference in the long run. Without the cross, all these things are rubbish. They are garbage that will burn when Jesus returns again. The cross might be gory. The cross might be difficult and upsetting to think about. But without it, we are lost and we are wasting our time. Because as terrible as the cross is, it is far, far more wonderful. Yes, it's a gruesome, brutal, horrific scene. Yes, Jesus was killed at the cross. And yes, he died unjustly in shame and agony. But the glory of the cross is that he did it all for you. He died for your sin. He took the wrath of God that should have been yours and took it upon himself. He endured the pain and the shame and the agony and death that should have been yours for all eternity. When we look to the cross, we cringe at what happened to Jesus. But we rejoice knowing that it isn't happening to us. Not now, not ever. Because he gave his life in our place. He died on the cross, so we don't have to. The death of Jesus at the cross, it was no accident. It was God's plan of salvation from the very beginning. The price of sin is death and separation from God. And that's what we as sinners deserved. But in love and mercy, God himself came to us in the flesh to pay that price in our stead. Jesus Christ, true God among us, in our flesh, willingly, lovingly laid down his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He stood in our place beneath God's righteous and holy wrath. He took the unbearable burden of your sin, yours and mine's and everyone's who has ever lived. He took it all upon himself, even though he had never sinned once. 
He who was without sin became the very embodiment of sin and stood before God's judgment, suffering the wrath that should have been ours. When we look to the cross, when we really look, when we really see what happened there, we should weep and cry at the horror and the injustice of it all. But we should also rejoice because Jesus willingly endured it all to set us free from sin, death, and the devil. To give us his robe of righteousness that completely covers all of our sin. To wash us clean by the blood that he willingly shed on our behalf. Without the cross, all our good deeds, anything that we might have, it's all nothing. Pure garbage. Because at the cross, Jesus Christ suffered to, give his, to sacrifice his life and give us his perfection. The fact is we can't separate the cross from the tomb. Jesus died for you. He was truly dead and his lifeless body was laid in the tomb. But now the tomb is empty. On that first Easter morning, Jesus rose again from the grave, also for you. He rose to break the chains of death that held you captive so that you could be free. He rose to give you the absolute guarantee of everlasting life in heaven with him for all those who look to him in faith. He rose to come to you each and every day through your baptism, through his word of grace. He rose to come to you at this altar and give you that very same body that died on the cross and rose again, that very same blood that poured from his torn flesh, his pierced hands, and his side. He rose to crush Satan's head and to set you free from the devil's tyranny. He did it all for you so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be made his own, so that you could live with him forever, both here on earth and in his perfect paradise of heaven. That's what the cross means. Is the cross repulsive and offensive? Is it gory and sickening and terrifying? Absolutely yes. Because what happened on the cross should turn our stomachs, should offend us deeply, should make us feel more uncomfortable than anything else can. But the answer is not to hide it away, gloss it over, and ignore it. The answer is not to turn our attention to worldly deeds and solutions that are a little more palatable. Because without the cross, those things are rubbish, pure garbage. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, no matter how great something might seem, it is completely worthless trash that can do us no good at all. When we actually think about the cross, we should be horrified. But we should also rejoice. Because while the cross is a symbol of suffering and death, it is Jesus' suffering and death on your behalf. All the agony he endured, it is sickening. But he did it willingly for you. And because he did, you, a sinner, who deserved that pain forever, you are instead given the gift of eternal life. You are no longer separated from God as you deserve. You are now his beloved child, set free from sin, death, and the devil, covered in his own robe of righteousness, holiness, and perfection, washed clean of all of your guilt. Do not be ashamed of the cross. 
Do not ignore it. Do not pretend that you can be a Christian without it. Understand how horrible it truly is, but then rejoice that those horrors will never be yours. Nothing is greater than that. And without the cross, everything else is nothing. Because by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.